Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I gotta tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year, I used the 12, Josh used a 20, and uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads, and my god, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. That was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. I can't believe. Oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh, I just shot my Kentucky buck. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates, Chris Leppert, and Josh Luck. What's up? Hey guys. And we are here to talk about our favorite time of year. It is opening deer season. Um, we are less than a month out. Opening deer season. I am <laughs> deer season. I mean, the opening deer uh, season. Uh, but, 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 I, I look like I crawled out of a hole. So <laughs> and he just said the F word on our podcast. It's, Margie, it's, you get him now. Yeah. It, Your it, parents it, are gonna be so disappointed. It's been a long week and it's only Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. We're at hump day. Yeah, we're at hump day, and uh we still have two more days left, but uh, it's our favorite time of year. Uh, we're getting into opening days of deer season. Some of you will be opening within the next couple weeks, but for the majority of us, we are going to be opening at the start of September. I think Chris, when, when are you, when are you heading to your first hunt? Dude, uh, I leave in two weeks from tomorrow. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm feeling a little movement down south right now just thinking about it. <laughs> are are you prepared? I am not prepared. <laughs> I'm going on a gun hunt and I don't have a gun. Um it, this was all put together so I was originally going to do a bow hunt and then was invited on a just a amazing camp opportunity with uh some buddies um Super pumped to go hunt Tennessee with a gigantic cannon. So, um, yeah, I'm jacked, but I'm not prepared like in any way. And I almost died the other day in the heat, and now I'm going to travel souther and get in even more heat and bugs where it's probably less wind. So I'll probably be dead at the end of August. Well, let's let's hope that's not the case. Josh, what about you? Are you prepared yet? No, I'm in the same boat as Chris. 
<laughs> You're going on a gun hunt? No, I'm not going on a gun hunt. I'm going out. So Chris is going on a camp down south in Tennessee in two weeks. And then in three weeks, we're going on camp in Kentucky for opening weekend of Kentucky. And I will be in that camp. But I am I am not ready. Between the expos, moving into a new house, whatever else we got going on, I, I still have to shoot my bow. Holy crap, man. Yeah, I know. This is <laughs> I've I've never gone this long without shooting my bow. And it's I'm I'm panicking. You're, I do you're... Have... When Rick is shooting way more than we are, that means you know I, we're I in was trouble. I was getting ready to say if I am the most prepared in terms of equipment out of the three of us, there's a problem. Might not be the most prepared in terms of having a great deer on camera, but I am damn sure prepared that I am uh, getting better with my bow. I shot at 20 and 30 tonight, and I've been <clears throat> going out to 40, and it's just a matter of getting it dialed in a little bit more. But I'm feeling pretty good about where yeah. I'm at so far. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Getting out, shooting the bow. I'm just over here jacking off, not doing anything. I do have some some equipment got on. So I got some I'm gonna I was shooting the Sever 1.5s last season and I wanted just a, a bigger cutting surface just for those mistakes that happen. And Lord knows I get buck fever and I will pull my shot occasionally. So when I hit them a little back, I want a little bit more cutting diameter. So I got the I got some 2.0s in. Test those out this year. I also have some new Kanadi K1 arrows that I'm oh yeah soaked. Yeah, this will be my first year shooting those. I mean, they haven't been out long, but it's also my first year with the Zinger Fletches. So I know Chris shot those on some arrows last year, and it's getting pretty decent results. So I'm yeah. ready to get those dialed in on my bow. Good deal, man. You'll be surprised um, at how well those actually hold up. It's honestly like, well, I'm not even going to bring them up, but uh, the the zingers, they really don't look like they're going to stay on. You just can't buy into the fact that they're going to stay right where you put them. And then you shoot through targets and weeds, you know, if you miss something. uh, And then, of course, you blow through deer and there's your little zinger fletching chilling in the same spot you know if you're a nerd like me and you mark where your fletching was because you have to know if it moved at all and (laughs) sure as shit there it is rick we're going to go ahead and want to just mark this like explicit put three e's oh dude i always mark i always mark this as explicit some of the stuff triple e if you guys are already going to have heard a couple beep outs uh by the time you get to this part of the podcast so don't worry about it. Shouldn't bleep it out. We're it's cool. It's the new thing to do. Cuz <laughs> you can can say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> you know how we were talking about like how you uh, that meme got sent earlier in the group message about it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I was watching an episode before we got on here, and uh, they were they were in an arcade. And Mac like starts cussing in front of this kid. And he's like, "You're cussing." He goes, "Yes." Yeah, so what? It's America. You're in an arcade. You can do whatever you want, <laughs> dude. I love that show. Great so show. we're rolling into early season. Uh, Josh and I are unprepared. Rick is way more prepared than us. Um, 
this spells trouble for me. So that motivates me to go out tomorrow. Uh, I think I'm going to get everything put back on my bow. I had that gearhead bow that I was testing. That's why I haven't shot my bow. Um, had that bow that I was testing from gearhead and um, I took all the stuff off of my bow to put it on that bow. So now I got to put everything back um, and then get it tuned and then sight it in with the new sight. I got them rocking the, uh, the red line bow hunting uh, torch. It's nice, pretty badass. It's a dual pin slider sight with a built-in sight light. It's pretty neat. Um, pretty pumped to uh, give that a go. That's like probably my new piece of equipment that I'm excited about as far as archery goes this year. Last year it was the, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, the UV button from yeah. Ultraview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thumb button release, but um, that turned out to be pretty good. So hopefully the site impresses just as much. So far it's pretty good. It's, I would call it like a little gritty in the, the movement. Like it's it doesn't move as smooth as like an Excel um, with some of the adjustments, but it's also like, half the price of an excel so kind of a neat little little concept on a site though so anywho so so we're talking we're talking early season and a couple things that are near and dear to our hearts are pretty nerdy but we're gonna nerd out for you guys a little bit um we don't have a guest so we'll just blurt shit out and hopefully you guys like it (laughs) Uh, So I went to a spot in Kentucky last weekend and found a really, really good hub. And I was finally an adult and remembered my milkweed. And I thought I'd take a few videos of what the thermals were doing. It was really interesting. And you already know, if you know, you know, right? So I go up into this hub, I find this hub scrape, get a camera on it, and then I'm picking a kill tree. And as I'm walking through this little creek, and when I say creek, I mean, if, if you didn't see the video, we're talking like a couple inches deep. Like, it barely has water running. But mm-hmm. when you get in the creek, you can feel the movement of air ever so slightly running back out of the hub down the creek because the cold water cools the air down and pushes it, you know, cold air sinks. So as I'm walking through the creek, I'm popping milkweed and just watching it drop a little bit and drop a little bit. And then all of a sudden it catches that thermal and just flies right down. And at like a 45, basically it just shoots down and out, you know, with the, the water. So we figured we'd nerd out a little bit first on thermals. So, Josh, tell me how you're playing thermals. Let's say, um, let's say you're in hill country and you're setting up. What what sorts of things are you doing to use the thermals to your advantage? So. I will preface this for the listeners. I, I know, for, especially for those that are starting out trying to learn thermals, because I, I can remember when I was starting out, it was like, oh, like, 
at first thermals were like, oh, in the morning, thermals rise, in the evening, thermals fall. In general, in, in general, yeah, but they you can get a lot, way more in depth with thermals as far as like, you know, the changes in the terrain, um, shaded spots versus not shaded spots, you know, canopy cover, all, all that stuff. So there's a lot that I can actually play into it. So if, if you're ever curious about what the thermals are doing in an area, especially in the hills, because hills can be very tricky, I highly recommend do what Chris was doing as far as like popping the milkweed. That, that will help give you a visual of what is actually going on, and that will help you out so much as far as like learning what's going on. And when, when you pop it, just watch it, see where it's going, and then ask yourself why. Like, okay, why is, why is the milkweed going that way? Is it because of the terrain? Is, it, is the ground, is the sun beating on the ground and it's heating up? It's later in the morning, so therefore thermals are going to rise. Is it evening time? You get the shade on the ground now and it's running down a hill. Or do you have a creek, you know, with cold water flowing out a certain way and it's going with the with the creek. Um, so that's just a, kind of a nice way to give you a visual and kind of learn what's going on. Um, but as far as hill country, I would say I'm still kind of, I'm still learning. I'm always trying to learn. Uh, but this year I've been paying close attention, close attention to it. A hot, hot topic right now are hubs. I feel like everyone's talking about hub systems. Thank you, Jake Bush. <laughs> so, Chris and I have scouted some hub systems. We're also scouting other terrain, but hub systems in hill country are one of the things we've been scouting. And when we're out with Jake, um, so hubs can be very tricky. A lot of people, when they think of hubs, they think of swirling winds. However, I think that is because you can't hunt a hub anytime, right? If let's say you have a hub that's facing north, right? It's running from, um, so the the C of the hub is facing north, so it sets up for like south wind bedding, and then you have a creek or a drainage that's running from, you know, the south to the north. The water is flowing that way. You can't really hunt that on like a straight east wind or straight west wind. You're going to get a lot of a lot of swirling winds in there. You really want to take advantage of the wind that is going in line with the drainage. So if it is a north-facing hub, you really want that southerly wind. You can get away with a little bit of side play, so like a southwest, southeast, but you really want it to follow that drainage because you know with the predominant winds and the thermal flow, you're going to get less swirling, and then right your, your scent should be going just with whatever the thermals are doing. Um, and Chris and I have been kind of nerding out lately, and we've been talking about the predominant winds, and Chris, you can head on this too. There are some areas in this area um, that Chris was talking about, in Kentucky in particular, the, now this is kind of theoretical, this is just for conversation, uh, we haven't experienced it yet. It's in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... There are some areas that are pretty stagnant. You you don't get lots of winds, even when it says like the predominant wind. You know, for early season south, southwest, west winds. I think Chris experienced this last weekend. Correct? Yeah, so, he does. He does PTSD, have experience with dude. this. Yeah, yeah I, I meant like hunting experience per se. Chris was in an area where there was like zero wind flow, 
on a hundred degree day. Yeah, we we're pretty sure he had a heat exhaustion or a near heat stroke. So stay hydrated, kids. But anyway, where you, where you don't have predominant winds, right? What you kind of got to think of a mature buck's going to always use in those. So if things are always light and variable, or you or you don't really have a you have a predominant wind per se, but it's right. It's uh, three, four miles an hour, or you get in some of these systems and there's like, it feels like there's zero wind. The thing that's going to always be consistent are your thermals. Um, so we're, we're kind of, we've been talking about this and say, okay, even though you have predominant wind based bedding, could these deer be using these other hub systems, you know, because the thermal pull is is what's always consistent, and then they're just betting based on preferred food sources. So we're kind of scouting those non-predominant wind hub systems, so to speak. So like, you know, ones that might be um, east-facing, west-facing, north-facing, stuff like that. Um, I kind of got off on a tangent there. Oh, hold on. My Black little out a little crying. bit. My little one is crying. Can you hear that? <laughs> Hold on. Let me turn off my mic. Go be a dad for a second. Me and turn me off the mic for a second. Oh, oh. My wife got him. That's okay. Boom. Good job, Madison. Yes. So back to Chris's original point as far as in hill country. I'm just popping milkweed quite a bit to try and figure out what's going on. In in general, if you want to play it safe evenings thermals are dropping if you have a hub system with a drainage and you have the wind that's going with the drainage that's going to be more in your favor in the mornings in general things are going to rise as things get warmer you you can get those if especially if you're in hills and have shade you're going to get some dropping of thermals into part of the morning but once you start getting the sun hitting the hillsides especially that the bottom of the drainage like you're it's going to switch right the thermal pool is going to go up into what's typically the bedding so it's not always a great idea to hunt hub systems in the morning i think you can get away with it in certain very certain circumstances but in general it's more of an evening game i feel uh chris do you want to i know i kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there but do you want to add to that uh yeah i just think so you know i think when we think of thermals, we think of elk hunting, right? We all want to go on that DIY adventure, and we think about thermals rising and falling on a mountain, and we don't really think of it as much, or didn't anyways, when it comes to whitetails in uh, less, like, uh, treacherous ground, if you will. You know, it's not as steep here. Even, even when it is steep, it's not like it is generally out west. Um, for the most part, there are a few places, but it's just, you know, you can run into flat country here and rolling hills and everything. So, um, thermals happen everywhere in the world to kind of preface that. So if you're ever driving around and, and this requires kind of a very large level of paying attention, if you will, if you drive around in ag country and it's a light and variable day you're looking at like two to four miles an hour super still super stagnant leaves aren't really moving and it's that day that if you walk out into a bean field or whatever or on the edge of it 
and you stand there for a little bit, you can hear the mosquitoes around you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty stagnant. So when you find the bucks, pay attention to where they stay. More often than not, you're going to find them in a sunken area of the field. And the reason why is because they're literally catching the thermals, the airflow, even though it's not really extreme, like in the mountains, they're still, all the thermals are pushing into that little sunken area from all over the field. That's why you see deer enter and exit from a sunken area in a field a lot of times, like a a drainage ditch or something. So you'll watch them and more often than not, they'll stay right in that area well past dark simply because they can see and smell everything from that point so there's no need to move and risk danger so when we when we magnify that and we go into the mountains and you add a steep hillside on both sides one that keeps the warm air from pushing up the hill as quickly and uh, as powerful as it normally would And two, that creates a lot more shade. And then when you have that cooler air, and especially when you add some form of water, especially if it's running water, because if it's it's like a pool that's sitting there, it it could become warm and stagnant, and then it could actually push your thermals up. So if you have cool running water in a little ditch or creek or river or whatever, um... Just keep in mind that it's it's cooler down there because you have those rocks, got that cool water, and if you stay down in there and pop milkweed, you'll watch that milkweed flow right behind you with the water. So what I really plan on doing a bunch in the early season, because keep in mind too, you know, when you have the extreme heat of summer, versus that cool little spot in that creek. It's it's very, uh, what am I looking for, Rick? Help me out with your vocabulary. Advantageous? Uh, no, yeah, I mean, it is advantageous, but it's, you know, you've got one opposite, you've got one end of the spectrum, and Antithesis. the other, you've got, you, yeah, you've got basically, you know, hot air that's <clears throat> making that spot that much cooler, essentially, if that makes sense. So, your thermal play is going to be on point a lot more. But essentially, the other thing you got to pay attention to, too, and I'm going into a lot of detail here, you can't throw like a baseball-sized clump of milkweed. Like as small as you can get it, make it, you know, toss it out there and see what happens and toss it in different directions just to kind of prove things to yourself and, and uh, you know, really – help back your own study, if you will. Um, the other day, I was just tossing it downstream and it was going downstream and I thought, you know what? I'm going to throw this across the creek and just see what happens. You know, I, I think I know, but I want to make sure. And I did it. And I even threw it upstream and the same thing happened. So one thing you can do, the reason why we're explaining this is we'll kind of get into a setup a little bit. So this particular hub that I found is just stupid overlooked. It's easy to get to, but it's overlooked. And I think that's what makes it overlooked is it's kind of too easy. So I'm going to walk right up that creek and there's a good chance 
then I'm going to get on my hands and knees and put knee pads on and go up that creek. If the water's two feet deep, I don't care because we're there. We're going there one time to kill a deer. And so if we got to be uncomfortable or whatever, so be it. I know that if I can stay down in that creek, that little embankment, it's going to hide my movement. And then that thermal <clears throat> flow is going to push my scent behind me. So then if I check that camera and there's a good buck that I want to kill hitting that scrape, I'm just going to go up the backside of a tree, probably a single stick high, and just sit there basically almost in the creek to where I can control my scent. So while he's sitting up in his bed, you know, on that probably that top third line, <clears throat> he thinks he can smell everything. And for the most part, he's right. But he can't smell what's right there because I'm using the thermals to push my scent profile out, if that makes sense. I'm also going to, t and this is, you know, nerdy. I'm also going to move slow as hell. Because the more you breathe and everything, you know, I'm not big on like suits and machines that kill scent, but I know that <clears throat> the majority of your scent profile is your breath. And then when you add sweat and body odor from your, you know, feet, crotch regions and armpits, well, when you, when you start doing, you know, a lot of exercise, you know, working your cardiovascular section. <laughs> uh, when you're doing cardio, you know, you're, you're breathing hard, you're producing more sweat and everything. So you really want to stay cool. I kind of, I kind of thought of that before, but when I heard Troy Pottinger talk about that, yeah, uh, then I said, okay, you know, we're going to do this full throttle this year. So we're just going to go up in there real slow. So we're not breathing heavy because just a normal breath versus, you know, I mean, you're putting out double the scent right there when you're out of breath. So um, we're going to do everything we can. And then we're literally going to get a single stick high. I'm probably going to be in a saddle on a platform and I'm just going to sit on the backside of a tree. And when he comes down to hit that scrape or, you know, go from one knob to the other or something, I'll be right, waiting right there. Normally what those deer are going to do in the hill country, especially where we're at, where it's stagnant, like what we talked about. See, we're getting these deer very, very regularly on camera, like the same time every day, kind of regular, like porn piles don't mean shit compared to this kind of regular patterning, right? So these deer are traveling using the thermals so they're betting with a sight advantage and coming down with the thermals dropping over their back when that sun goes down and everything cools down so they can smell what's behind them and travel towards what they've looked at all day and so when that deer comes down there he doesn't have a scent advantage where i am if that makes sense and yeah. when i don't allow him to see me then he thinks everything's safe. So just a little a little uh, walk in the mind of myself anyways. <laughs> here's <clears throat> I'm going to add to that a little bit. Here's a little walk in my mind because I like to think of these 
theoretical situations in my head that make a lot of sense and ones that I would like to test my theory on at some point during the season. So going back to what you said with regularity, these bucks coming down with the thermals and hitting those scrapes. If you have, so if you're looking at an east facing hub, right? So it sets up for west wind bedding. So essentially what he means by that is the end or head of the hub that would stop you from traveling unless you went uphill is on the west side. And on the east side is the mouth where the water runs out and you would enter into the hub or drainage, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think of it as a C, the open part of the C is facing east. Um, so it sets up for west wind bedding because it's coming over the ridge and flowing from west to east. Um, okay. So thinking of that that situation right there, which we get a lot of west winds early season, sun sets in the west, right? As the ground cools, you're going to get dropping thermals. So theoretically, because that hub is east-facing compared to some other areas, you're probably going to get an, that thermal switch when the thermals are dropping. It's probably going to happen earlier, right, because you get more shade in there, especially if it's kind of a closed canopy. So those bucks might be coming down off their bed earlier than, let's say, some other hub systems where you don't get that. That's. I don't even think that's like something you can argue i think that's a hundred percent right that's just that's just me thinking i haven't got to hunt a hub like that so that's just me thinking that that's theoretically what should happen so instead of like oh i'm gonna wait till like you know that last hour heck early season might as well get there like two in the afternoon or something because you never yeah. know mm-hmm Heck, it could be earlier. You could have a camera on there, and especially if it's like a long drainage, and he's, they're kind of like long lining out the preferred food source or something. You know, that could they could be coming down real early. Thoughts, Rick? Yeah. So the the drainage that Josh is talking about, um, it's the I don't have a hub system like that, but I do have a drainage like that almost identical the yeah, one i the, the one i sent you guys pictures of uh in kentucky where i've got the pictures of that buck um traveling on west winds going east uh back out towards the what i believe to be its bedding area so if it's you look like you're going to say something oh i i remember the drainage you're talking about because it right. really makes things difficult for you it does the, the, <laughs> because you have to come from the east. I have to come. And that drainage is running from east to west. Yes, <laughs> so it's 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 coming from east to west. But I only have pictures of these bucks. They're all they're daylighting, but it's only in the morning. Now the benefit of this is is that much like Chris said, if there's water in the creek, the water flows back out towards the mouth of the out, out towards the the mouth of the of the the hollow i just call it a hollow it's easier for me to call it that way so if i'm coming in and there's water in then it'll it'll take scent back out i've got a, there's trees right on the on the side of the creek that i can get up into 
one to two sticks high, put the stand on the back side of it and be completely hidden. It's completely shaded area. The problem with this is, is that when I went in there to check cams the other day, there was no water at all. And this is the problem that you can run into in some of these areas in, in Southern places that are not on active um, river systems or creek systems. You get in feeder creeks that look really, really good, and you might have deer on camera moving through there. But there's a couple things that could be your friend here. One, um, his, uh, and Garrett, Garrett Prawl talked about this at the Mobile Hunters Expo, uh, historical data of wind and historical data of weather. So I know that when the bu those buck pictures came through, it had rained the previous two days. So that creek was full of water. I mean, it, it was those big gully washers that we had right around the 15th through the 17th of July. And then we had them uh, right before the 10th. So we had this big gully washers that came through where a lot of rain got dumped. So that creek's moving through there. What do I have pictures of? I have pictures of this deer moving on a west wind with the wind over its back, moving east back out towards a, a food source that is um, in an open field. I would get pictures of does and that kind of stuff, but it's important to use those things uh, that I, I'm using those more this year as tools than I have previously. Now, my Ohio spot's a little bit different. Um, it is a north to south. So mouth of the hollow is south with ag fields at the end of it. North is on is bedding. So it sets up for, I believe, a south wind for bedding. Um, but it also has those logging roads. I think, Chris, you've seen the pictures of it. It's got those yeah. logging roads on the side of it where if you get a hard west wind there, they're going to sit there and wait, and they're going to wait for the thermals to switch there as well because they can move across the face of that hill, and they'll never be seen because they're on the upper third of the hill, and trying to get up there, you're going to disrupt the bedding to begin with. So both places are difficult i feel like though um josh you and i have talked about this and i'm gonna go against what chris has said which is don't hunt the mornings in <laughs> don't hunt the mornings and i think that this that at least in kentucky that's my best shot at this area so long as the wind's right if i don't have the right wind i'm not hunting that area i just i can't i can't justify it and end up scratching a chance at a halfway decent buck yeah i would say if you're getting them coming on the west winds in the morning through that drainage system i would stay on the try and figure out where they're going to bed and try and get close to there because they were coming back kind of late in the morning right yeah they're so coming would, out of a crp field straight down into that into that little area yeah so i would hang back towards the east side of that drainage that way well, theoretically right the sun should hit that sooner the ground should warm up your thermals should kind of rise and go up that hill especially if, if they're coming back later your, the thermal should switch and rise so and and if you were to i'd probably hang out on the east side get as close as you can to where you think they're going to bed that way they're coming back mm -hmm. later and then possibly 
sit high as long as your vision and shot angles aren't compromised, but sit high as well, and then you should be fine. The, the only other thing that kind of gets thrown into this, and this is a little bit different when you're, I guess, I guess with area that I'm hunting, is that there is a definitive hard edge uh, where, where the deer are not going to go past it. So kind of like Josh, you, you're the place where you went last year and you shot your deer had a, had a hard edge. Yep. Uh, this place has a hard edge as well. And it, <clears throat> the deer aren't going to cross there. They're, they're just not. Um, it, it, it also just throws that into the mix as well in terms of, are the deer going to funnel down there or are they going to walk out into the field to the, I guess it would be to the North at that point and pull the line over there. I don't know. I hope that it's, you know, with all the kind of tinkering that we've been doing and talking about this, the plan works, but if it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's not the end of the world, uh, which you know, as we've talked about, it's good to have multiple plans on what you're going to do. Don't marry yourself to one deer. It's not, Agreed. you, you, you can't, well, you can, if you want, you can't, there's, there's certainly people that we know that, that marry themselves to a deer. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I've, I made that choice very, I think Chris remembers the deer I had called strong hand. <laughs> and that I, 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 I was convinced I was going to kill that deer. And it was me being dumb and not trying to go find its bedding area or anything like that. And I, I wasted an entire season hunting that deer in Kentucky and never saw it, never got a shot opportunity at it or anything like that. I'm done doing that. Uh, I, I plan on just, you know, shooting a good deer for me. And that's, that's the goal this year. Hell yeah. All so, right. So moving on to like the oh. next topic. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I wanted to. Josh doesn't want to move on. Josh, I feel we don't get the nerd out like this too yeah. often. Plus, we want to watch. We want to make sure that we get to see the different shades of glaze roll over Rick's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so going, it's, you're not talking archery, so we're fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So going back to what Rick was saying as far as hunting mornings, Chris isn't a big morning hunter, which there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of guys get put deer on the ground in the evenings. Most of the time, evening is the correct choice, especially early season. However, I like to do my own thing, and I'm a big fan of mornings. Let's be clear. Hold hold the phone for a second here. Not I like to do my own thing when somebody <laughs> says... You probably shouldn't do this. You like to do it and try to prove them wrong. And yep. last year, he did prove me wrong. Now, I have to say, you done good, but I feel like that's the only one because the other ones we really can't count. Like, I always morning hunt in the rut. Yeah, yeah, I'm not last counting the week other of ones. October. So, you, and, and what you're about to say, though, is very, in my opinion, intelligent and I would like to state before the public that I am now a slight morning hunter early season in what I would believe to be the right situation. Yes. 
So Chris is correct. I hunt mornings because it's the obstinance in me. People say you can't do it, so I like to prove them wrong and say you can do it. You just have to figure out how to do it. Um, but anyway, so throwing out some theoreticals just to get people's minds flowing. If uh, ooh, I feel like if Shane Parker is listening, he might be a good one to comment mm-hmm. on this or add to this, um, especially with all his camera data. Uh, but I think there are, so going back to the hills and the thermal play and all that, it's extremely tough, and there are very few circumstances in which you can hunt the mornings. However, I think there are certain situations. Again, these are these are circumstances I want to test out and try. I have yet to do these myself, so you can take what I'm saying with a grain of salt if you want, but in my head it makes a lot of sense. So the first thing, this is something I heard from Alex Chomp, and I really want to test this at some point during the season especially well early season i would like to test it but if you have ag up top okay and this can still play with a south southwest west predominant based wind especially early season that's what you're going to get you have ag up top and you come in through the hub system your thermals are going to be dropping for a little bit in the morning you're going to have to go through the hub. You're going to have to figure out where, where a buck is betting, where, where the buck you're targeting. You'll have to figure out where he's betting, what ridge system, or get in between, go up a drainage in between two small secondary ridges where you can shoot both sides. But I think you can sneak in there early before he's back to bed, and you're going to have to get there really early. Get in a tree. You might You might only have that first hour, but I think... In that situation, in the mornings, if they're up top in the ag and they're going back to the ridges to bed, you can come up through the hub system, get up near the bedding on the ridge as your thermals should still be dropping. That Let's say that first hour of light or so, you're not going to have long. If you're going to see them, it's going to be like gray light probably or, or first shooting light. But I believe that is a situation where you can hunt in the morning. Oh, yeah. Another theoretical morning one. So let's get out of early season here. Let's go. Let's go that late October. No, Josh, we need to stay in early season. We need to stay there. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throwing out a theoretical for thermals. He's, he's having fun nerding. Let him nerd. I know. Let the nerd nerd. <laughs> so let, let's go. I think this would probably work more towards like that late October. Uh, but let's say you have a west facing hub. You get an east wind. You don't get those often, but you do get those, and it's really nice when you do because it's like a, a it's a wind that deer aren't used to, and they get up on their feet. But besides that, let's say you're late October, bucks are going to be traveling anyway. So let's say you get an east wind, and you're hunting a hub that sets up for an east wind, so it's west facing. So you get the sun rising in the east. There's still going to be plenty of shade down in that hub, especially if it's you know it's a little steeper in there. There's going to be shade for quite some time in the morning. So you should have thermals dumping down for a while. I think you could get in there, especially that time frame when bucks are kind of roaming and moving around. I think you can get in there and hunt a hub scrape during that time frame in the morning and and get away with it. I agree. Agreed. Sorry. Those, Those are just 
nerd solid thoughts. answer dr luck <laughs> those are just my nerd thoughts some good stuff <laughs> and and also keep in mind so like when you're playing thermals um the more sort of fast and furious the water is you know the the heavier the water flow the more it's going to carry everything and like if you ever sit on a good moving creek or river and you've got like bends in the river and islands and all these different things you know the structure watch what the water does and then toss a piece of milkweed down just send like a stream of milkweed and watch how it literally does what the water does like when you come around a corner like the bend of a a river we'll say or a fast moving fast flowing creek and you get that big eddy where the water's kind of just spinning and then slows way down and then filters out, your your milkweed will go around and bounce around in there. And then all of a sudden it'll catch the thermals and whoosh, there it goes again. And every once in a while, <laughs> it'll come right back to you. It's just a real <laughs> bitch. So, you gotta you gotta really be careful, man. It's it's crazy trying to play them. That's why you always toss the milkweed out and just try to learn and and if you pay attention, you'll figure out real quick that those deer use those damn creeks, rivers, drainage ditches. They all use them because they, they help them smell. Hey, everybody. Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I got to tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year. I used the 12. Josh used a 20. And uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads. And my God, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, moving on, uh, another near and dear topic is native plants. Uh, not really referring to trees as much as we are, uh, you know, the, the little weeds, basically, that we look at and we're like, oh, cut those down and plant beans there. But really, we're starting to wonder if it's the opposite. We should spray all the damn beans get rid of them and plant natives. Um, I'm going to let Josh take this for a little bit and then I'll fill in the gaps of this story. <laughs> so 
I believe natives are going to become more of a popular topic over the next couple of years. Starting to see a little bit of a switch with some people in the industry, letting fields grow up and letting more natives come up. Specify what you mean for the audience with regards to natives. Just just natural browse. What, what the deer are used there. to naturally browsing on, just the plants that come up naturally, right? Not Most, the stuff you put in a food plot that's yeah. that like going to the Department of Forestry. By the way, the Department of Forestry runs a program just like this where you can go get the seeds from them and go and plow it into your ground so you can have native food plots. Yeah, native forestry. It's a good resource. Um, what's that? Uh, native Habitat pod podcast. Yes, really like like that guy's mm -hmm. stuff. He's got some really good information on natives. Um, but we're just talking about the natural browse that deer are used to, you know, used to eating. Some of those plants contain like twenty percent protein, better than most any food plot or, you know ag that you can come by and we've, we've gotten on this we've started to take you know more notice to the natives um you know chris goes out and scouts and glasses deer pretty often sometimes just for fun with the family um but he notices a lot of bucks in in the natives just just the natural browse and they may have ag right next to it and where are all the bucks they're in the natural browse compared to the beans. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. And it's, what we've also kind of noticed is how consistent they are on that browse. It's, you would think, you know, everyone thinks bean field early season, like, oh, that's, that's the preferred food source, but that's not really always what we're seeing. Uh, Chris and I went for a drive not too long ago and we saw hammers, Big deer, just munching on some natural brows. Did you did you go glasses deer again the other night, Chris? I did. Yeah. And the natural freaking brows just on the edge of a bean field, right out of the edge of a bean field in like the, uh, I guess you'd call it like the tractor pathway where the grass grows and they're pounding grass and not eating the beans. It's crazy. And they, they eat the beans. They'll, they'll go into the bean field and then come back out and go in and go out. But they eat the shit out of that those natural grasses, man. Mm -hmm. And so I had I have a farm that since 2004 was planted every single year in corn or beans. And I think it was only corn like, twice maybe three times tops every other year was beans i got so excited because i figured i'm gonna be able to see deer finally well i would see deer but more often than not i never really saw any good bucks i'd have them on camera but i wouldn't see them in that bean field lo and behold the farmer doesn't get around to planting or spraying or anything and that field just grows up mm -hmm. with all the natural grasses and gets like three feet high and wouldn't you know it in beyond broad daylight i could go see the entire bachelor group 
that I would get on camera just waltzing around in the middle of this browse. And I think, A, it provides them with cover. And it's not like they're safe, but they feel safe out there. They feel secure. If you ever notice, deer get really timid when the beans first come up. They'll, they'll go out and come back and go out and come back. They, they look spooky sometimes. It's very weird. The beans get four feet tall. And all of a sudden, the deer are just prancing around like they don't give a shit. So then they've got, you know, the bedding, security cover, and now they have a natural food source that God intended them to have in the first place. And they're a browse creature anyway. So, like, you notice, you know, if you run cams on corn, they don't just stand there all day and eat corn. They'll be there for 10 minutes, and then they leave. And then three hours later, they might come back or, you know, whatever, whether it's at night more often than not, I think. Everyone's sitting here shaking their head like, yeah, at night, at midnight and 2 a.m. <laughs> you know, they, they come back three, four, five times a night because they went out to the ag field and they hit the beans. Then they went and munched on honeysuckle leaves and autumn, autumn olive leaves and all this different stuff. And then they came back to the corn and then they went back out into the beans like it just... It's like a never-ending cycle. If you watch them, they literally eat on everything on their way through the woods. They're like a damn goat. So something to keep in mind uh, when you drive along the road. They're there for two reasons. A, it's an easier path to travel. B, that's where all the damn native plants are. Yeah, I mean, you... Especially so if you get into like riparian areas right around uh, river systems, a lot there's been there's a, a larger push to stabilize things with more native plants and grasses than what there has been in the past. You know, normally it used to be if you were repairing a stream system or something along those lines, you just throw some silt blockers on there or some silt fences to hold back the dirt and like plant bushes or whatever the hell else that they could buy at a cheap le or a cheaper level or, you know, they felt like it was going to stabilize stuff. You know, there's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of research and there always has been about, um, when you allow for native grasses to specifically native grasses, I'm not, I'm not even discussing native plants at this point with native grasses. If you're growing it in a field, it, it enriches the soil and puts so much more minerals back down in there. And there is, I believe, I think it was Jake Bush and Troy Pottinger were talking about this, where they were talking about minerals in the areas where they, they were like, they will kill big bucks at, at, at times. And what that allows those, you know, in a lot of these big CRP fields that have been there forever, uh, you know, whether they get burned off and the root systems are still there, so it doesn't burn off the seeds and it continues to grow back up. It also creates a, a really high mineral base within the soil there. So not only are your deer getting good you know, solid nutrition from native plants and grasses during that time. They're also getting minerals that you may not be even noticing. So there's a picture online of, uh, you know, people who I want to say it's like a farmer who, uh, like planted a CRP field a year after he planted beans and like a farmer who let like one of his fields go for like 10 years and the root systems in those things are absolute insanity. 
It's just, it's absolutely nuts. And those deer are going to, you know, use that for three reasons, cover, food, and traveling. Like it, it, it makes the most sense on when you start seeing, when you start looking for this stuff a little bit more. And especially if you start, uh, you know, looking for all edge habitat and that kind of stuff too, you're going to, you're going to find those deer hanging in those areas. Now, in terms of native, you know, browse other, other than that kind of stuff, Chris, you hit the nail on the head. You know, I think you and I have discussed deer eating, uh, honey locust pods, you know, and that, that, that's something that people overlook. You know, everyone wants to go sit on a white oak, but when a white oak isn't producing and, you know, what, what are you going to hit on? Well, you start, you should start looking for persimmons. You should start looking for honey locust pods. You should start looking for just those natural things that you, you can find around the woods. If you do an observation set or anything like that. And the best ones I like doing is like just watching does you watch a doe walk through the woods. It's like Chris said, it's like watching a goat go through a a barnyard. It's going to eat everything through there. Any little red berry, anything like that. Uh, You know, you'll start in some areas where you have overpopulated deer. Chris, you're aware of this place. You've hunted it once. It it is no longer a place I am allowed to hunt. But uh, there are severe browse lines on that property of natural browse because they don't plant uh, ag there. It's all natural browse. And you can see hard lines from where those deer are going through and just munching on everything that is potentially food for them. So that, that that's a big piece. I think it's really overlooked and it's a, it's a piece of woodsmanship really that you should get, that you should get kind of acquainted with. It's not hard. Um, you can go pick up, if you're in Ohio, there's a great book called native grasses of Ohio. There's one called woody, woody plants of Ohio. And really, yeah, I've got, uh, so not to be too nerdy. I took a no, class. No, no. Be fucking nerdy. <laughs> I want to hear um, this. I, I took a class at Ohio state. They have a lab on Lake Erie and it was, it was just, uh, it was, uh, it wasn't aquatic botany. What was it? It was, it was just botany. So what they basically did is that you learned every native plant in Ohio, how to identify it, how to identify it from a twig, how to identify, you know, flowering subspecies of this kind of stuff, but also in different habitats, this stuff will grow. Cause sometimes people will look at stuff and they'll say like, well, it's not going to grow there. And it absolutely will. Look up the term alvar. An alvar is a, a, and there's a lot of parts in Ohio that are like this. It's rocky, rocky, soil or a flat bedrock area with a very thin layer of soil on it with plants growing off the top of it. I guarantee you, if you look at some of those places, it's mainly islands up in like the Lake Erie basin, but there's a lot of places up there that grow like that. And people say like, Oh, there's no deer here. Oh, there's, there's plenty. There's plenty of deer there. You're just not looking around the right type of browse in those areas, but woody plants of Ohio, um, Native plants of Ohio, and there I'll I'll put I'll put it in the liner notes. They should all be on Amazon. Like there's there's a whole collection of books, and they're identifiers too. That's the best part. You they're they're small. You can put them in your pocket and act as a field guide. Which brings me to my next point. A very important part of us t- talking about all this stuff is documentation of these things. 
you know, a lot of people, you know, you guys made fun of me last week because of how I set up a trail cam because I'm an idiot, but, um, documenting what you're seeing and what's going on when you're popping milkweed documenting like wind speed. What was the direction of the wind that day? You know, what, what were my surroundings look like? Same thing with your native plants and grasses. It's going to look a lot different early season than it is mid season than it is to late season. So if you, if you want to have a plan for that kind of stuff, it's great to know where all the soft mass things are early season because deer are going to be munch on that, but you're going to want to look at other food sources or, you know, where they may have switched bedding areas post rut to be closer to a different food source during this time. And it's, it's important to kind of take notice of this stuff and it might take you a year or so to figure this stuff out uh, on a certain property or just obs observations, you know, pop open your Spartan forge, pop open your Onyx. All of them have journal and journal areas for it. Put in a waypoint, write what you see, and you know, you can, you know, make sense of it later. But that that's that's a, a big key, I think, that a lot of people overlook in 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 doing that kind of stuff is, you know, not knowing what those different things can be for you in each each different part of the year. You know, yeah. Rick Rick joined in on the nerd sesh here. Pretty pretty good. I I was a biology major for like four years. I'm gonna forget the names of those books. So when we get off here, <laughs> send me a text because okay. I'm going to rent that from the library or buy them. Probably just gonna buy them actually. Yeah, like um, three bucks. Oh yeah, then I'll buy I'll I'll just buy copies. We gotta like do a giveaway or something for the podcast and send that yeah. to some people. Cause I'm telling you right now for the people that have stuck with us through this shit, I'll guarantee you when you start paying attention to this stuff, at first you're going to feel like a nerd and then you're going to be like, Whoa, this <laughs> is like this. I'm pretty sure Jesus wrote this down at some point. <laughs> It's crazy. The book of how, hubs and the book of natives. The book of hubs. <laughs> oh, that's the that's the title. The book of hubs. <laughs> um, it, it's the truth, though, man. It's it's so crazy. When you start playing with thermals and everything, you really realize real quick how well you can play. You know the scent game, and literally, like you could go without showering for three weeks, not wear deodorant and not wash your clothes and wear the same thing. And as long as you aren't tromping around like a moron and walking back and forth throughout the woods, as long as you know right where you need to go and you don't leave, you know, this crazy uh, scent trail with ground disturbance, you can get up in a tree and literally they will not detect you because they cannot detect you. So food for thought, guys. I'm digging it. Mm -hmm. Josh? What are your thoughts? Um, just going back to something that Rick said with those kind of grown-up CRP areas with the natural browse and how they can be looked over, I, I definitely agree with that. Anytime I see an area like that, I get really excited um, just because that's where I've been finding some of the larger deer hangout. So my buck last year in Kentucky, um, I shot him in like a grown-up, crp field and had 
uh, mixed in like honeysuckle, small like honeysuckle thickets, autumn olive, greenbrier. Um, he was kind of bedding in and around that, and I shot him as he was meandering right through it. I mean, it was it was so grown up. I thought I wasn't going to be able to shoot the deer. Um, it was over my head in certain places, and I'm six foot. Um, but it just provides a lot of security cover, a lot of food, and they don't have to go very far. A lot of times, those places are really hard to hunt because there's no trees to get into. So it's a place where those deer can escape the pressure. And I feel like that's why I, I find some of the larger deer in those areas. Um, so it's something to keep in mind. Uh, those are places that I definitely like to check out. I know where we're going on our Kentucky camp. From an aerial view, there's like two small spots. It looked like they're just grown up spots. Not far from like this hub system. And you have to really pay attention, but it looks like just big enough to where it probably has a high stem count. Could be an area where deer are browsing, so I definitely want to check it out at some point. I definitely think it's a spot that's looked over. Heck but yeah. those yeah, are my thought on the man. natives. Pay attention to those because you might just stumble into some some of the bigger deer. I agree. Um Boys, this has been fun, man. Um, yeah. Do we have a, a new closing question yet, or we go with the same thing? Uh, we don't have a new closing question yet, so we all answered it the last time, and we don't have a guest because, well, we forgot to book one. But <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so we we don't have a closing question. I got I got one that I, I I'm kind of thinking of. Uh. This this is mainly Chris. You kind of hit on this earlier, so th this is this is uh, kind of a quick hit. What is one new piece of equipment that you're using this year, and why you're exciting about it? Why you're excited about it? A new piece of equipment. Well, I like this question. We are kind of the the gear people. Um. If I had to say one new piece of equipment that I'm pretty excited to use, God, that's like not even fair to ask me. I got a shitload of new gear. <laughs> uh, I would have to say my new cloud saddle. I, I think that that one has me probably the most excited. Now, I will preface this. I'm not going to say the trophy line onyx because to me it's not new i've had it since late january and it came out you know in december or january so it's not technically new but i only hunted on it once so if that were new technically then it'd be that but since that's kind of like you know been used at least once and that was last deer season uh in actually pretty sure that that was february that i used it but um, I would have to say that it's the cloud saddle. Uh, and I, I have to mix another piece of gear in with this because it's essential to the setup. And that would be the back band from the Amsteel guy. So the cloud saddle is a single panel saddle. It does have kind of a built-in back band that makes it pretty nice and comfortable. But while screwing around, uh, I was helping 
a buddy who actually, I didn't even know he was coming to the expo. He drove five freaking hours across the state of Ohio and then up into Michigan. He's from like closer to Pennsylvania than where Luke is. Oh, wow. And and he drove, he, he messaged me and he's like, Hey, could I pick your brain on some saddle hunting equipment? And I'm like, Hey man, listen, like it was literally the day before the expo. I was like, or the day before we were leaving, I was like, bro, listen, I'm not going to have a whole lot of headspace for the next week. Let me get with you like next Tuesday or something. And I will call you and we will just nerd out on anything you want when it comes to gear. It's like, all right, cool. You know, that's fair. And then he shows up at the expo on Saturday evening. So I wanted to help him out. Actually, I think it was Sunday. Um, so I wanted to help him out and, you know, told him to go around, try all the different stuff, whatever. And he was messing around with a cloud. And I was like, well, let me show you what it's like to have like, you know, this built-in backband versus an actual backband. And so I went over to Sam. I was like, hey, let me let me steal one of your backbands. And I hadn't even played with, with it yet. I knew he came out with it, but we'd just been so busy that I hadn't got to test it out or anything. I clipped that thing in. I'm like, oh, shit, this is slick. Um, <laughs> it connects to your saddle and into your carabiner. And um, super, super easy to adjust and just stays out of the way when it comes time to shoot. So that cloud saddle mixed with my backband, I'm going to be comfortable as hell. The cloud, it has built-in pockets, which to me are like amazing. You can have, you know, a release, rangefinder, milkweed, little Debbies, you know, whatever you want <laughs> in them pockets. Uh, they can hold a lot of stuff, so... Uh, that's what I'm most excited about gear-wise so far. Even though we got a lot, we got a plethora of cool stuff to play with. All right, Josh, how about you? Mm, it's a tough one. Uh, oh, I know what I'm most excited about. There, there are two pieces of equipment. One is brand new; it hasn't even arrived yet, uh, and that is a kayak. Oh. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that is the new canoe unlimited. Nice. Oh yeah. So I'm uh, pretty pretty pumped to get to play with that and test out some water access. There are some spots I really want to check out with that thing. So stay up out of my spots. <laughs> <laughs> I am most excited for that. I also have one of the stealth um, stealth hunting e bikes, the bow hunter e bike. And I am also excited just to get to play around with that. Um, in some areas, I can't use it, but in the areas I can use it, oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm tired of walking miles. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, too, like we can be tough all we want, or here's the thought: we can get in, get out, and then go hang more cameras, or get home to our wives and get less dirty looks and complaints. So, correct. I thought you can help, you know, you can be a better family man and all that. I'm all for getting the exercise, sweating it out, getting the heart rate up. We love to walk, but we also really like to cover ground. And when you start hunting spots, I didn't mean to like jump in and stick up for you, even though nobody had shit to say. But <laughs> when you start driving two and three hours just to go deer hunting, 
man, you that you talk about. I mean, if you have six hours of driving and and plus you got to scout that day, or even if you have two days, that is a shitload of time that you do not get to spend either hanging trail cameras or sleeping, which wears on you. So, you know, it's it's an expensive you know cost up front, but I really think it saves you money in the long run because you can be more efficient. So absolutely pickles. How about yourself, man? So this is going to sound really silly, but I'm really excited about having a bow holder on my stand this year. I have consistently always hung it off of a tree and I, I just don't like the amount of movement that I have to do to get the bow off the tree. I like, I like having it like right there. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm also excited that I'm getting a new phone so I can document, <laughs> I can document some of this stuff a little bit better. Uh, you know, for those of you who know me, I hate filming. Uh, this will make it a little bit easier on me at least in, in some respects. So the two very small things uh, gear wise that I'm very excited about that, I feel like will be a big help for me this season. All right. I have one more question. Okay. Tread, tread carefully on this one. I probably shouldn't ask it, but I'll ask it anyways. What has been your biggest disappointment this year? Biggest disappointment this year? Yep. Yep. Uh, just in terms of whitetail scouting and deer hunting or mm. turkey season as well? Um, yeah, the outdoors, we'll, we'll say, since we are fueled by the outdoors, let's stick with the outdoors in general. Could be the expo, could be turkey hunting, could be, you know, whatever. Um, I can assure you it was losing a six pound smallmouth at the boat, um, in March, <laughs> um, the amount of expletives that came out of my mouth, uh, would make robert de niro cry um it, it i i would say like that was my biggest disappointment and it was one of those situations where uh don't take the time to try to get the fish in right and the fish falls off as it is coming to the boat and it throws the bait so it it was makes my stomach hurt still thinking about it because it probably would have been uh my personal best uh smally easily so That's that I, I would say that is my biggest disappointment this this year so far. How about you, Yosh? So biggest disappointment, are we saying like in 2023? Are we counting? This 2023. year, yeah. 2023, this calendar year. Okay. Yeah. Does that include this past year season? No, we're no. not talking about hitting a little back. We're talking about <laughs> 2023. <laughs> um, I don't know what my biggest disappointment is. I had a pretty it blessed must be a year. Nice life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had a pretty blessed year of turkey hunting. My first time really going, hitting a third state for turkey hunting and tagged out. Um, I don't know. Right now, I'm very disappointed in my preparation for the season. All right. All right. I like it. Man, that's 
I want to be like Josh when I grow up. He's telling us about all his bougie gear he's got. <laughs> and then and then says, well, I just really don't have anything to even frown about. Everything's perfect in my My life. only flaw is that I care too much. <laughs> I'm a very positive person. Yeah, I, I can't just don't show that. it. So, so I was going to say, I thought Josh was going to say, uh, not filling his Ohio buck tag. That's what I was going to say, but that runs into this season. It. That run that ran into no, no, this no. year. I said, can we include last year's season? And you said no. Chris I said, said no. I thought you were going to talk about hitting your Kentucky deer a little back. No. I, I forgot that you didn't fill your. I'm so used to you going to your dad's and killing buck after buck after buck. Yeah, no, I made a dumb, a dummy mistake. I got too aggressive of a morning and blew it. Man, so what's yours, Chris? What is my most my most biggest disappointment of the 2023 year um i would have to say that missing all the turkeys that i missed missing opening day and missing a chance to double with my boy opening day on kentucky public land uh and then literally like two days later or something missing with my other boy <laughs> and missing an opportunity to double in Kentucky. So I'm like, wow, you really suck at life, dude. You're supposed to be like this turkey hunter and you're the turkey sort of scarer. They they really weren't even that afraid by the second go around. <laughs> they just kind of looked around and then walked to Rick. So uh, I would say that's probably my, my biggest disappointment fair enough all right well you want to bring us home yeah Tell everybody uh, to wear their life jacket and shit i get well i got two things drink get, fluids it, well three things drink your fluids that's, uh, that's my closer don't steal my closer <laughs> um i i have i have one just because of the gear thing that i just asked uh remember remember please if you buy gear Use it for the intended purpose. Read directions. Do the things that you need to. There's too many times that people will hurt themselves or do something because they think that they can mod something and make it better or that they that they know what they're doing. Just take your time. Read through the stuff. Don't get hurt this deer season. Big, biggest thing I can say. Second thing, if you've got the ability to get somebody in the outdoors, please go ahead and do it. It's an important thing. You are in prime time for scouting. Make your kids' legs work and make them haul, you know, cameras into the woods with you and get them out. And you can learn how to identify native plants and grasses with each other. So start them young. I like it. Uh, yep. I'm going to follow that up. Uh, kind of had a tough lesson the other day. Um went to Kentucky as we were talking about was scouting by myself kayaked across this huge body of water um go up over a mountain hang cams all that felt really weird and uh was trying to go up the mountain and just really didn't have a whole lot in me kind of realized that I'd been walking for about five hours straight um I think at that point I was uh somewhere around five and a half miles in yeah, right around five and a half miles in. 
and uh, these are mountain miles, not like easy trail paved miles. So um, decided to sit down and take a break and uh, it just wasn't working out and kind of felt a little sick and, um, you know, to kind of make the story short, uh, we're pretty sure I had like some form of like sugar crash and heat stroke and all this shit combined. So um, when you're out there this summer, especially if you're not 20 or 30 years old, like Josh proves to us that he still is, <laughs> uh, make damn sure that you are watching what you're eating. You're approaching 40 or even older. Look at what you're eating for breakfast and you know lunch, whatever, before you go out there. And while you go out there, make sure you take plenty of water, but also maybe toss like a Gatorade or something in there, some snacks. And uh, don't forget to sit down and take a break and everything. I, I think I just kind of gassed myself and effed myself up a little bit and it scared the shit out of me. thought I was going to die. Didn't know if I was like having a heart attack or what was going on. So just be really careful in this heat. Um, you know, for the guys that are listening, women are generally pretty smart. Um, <laughs> we get a little stupid and, you know, I, I walk around like I'm 20 years old still. And, you know, I don't really care to take care of myself like I should. And, uh, might have paid for it dearly the other day uh, had I not got out of there. So just be real careful and uh, also have a form of communication on you when you're out there in the mountains or something by yourself. Take a GPS device or something some so somebody can track you. I own one and I didn't take it and that was really <laughs> stupid because I'm familiar with the place. And I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. It's just this spot. And then I was like, oh, shit, I think I'm stuck here. So. Just be real careful, guys. Safety first, folks. All right. Safety first. <laughs> this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been your hosts, Rick Cates, Chris Leppert, and Josh Luck. Thanks for listening to us. Have a great night. Bye. Peace. Bye.